Southern Baptist. I'm Paul Chitwood, President of your International Mission Board. I want to give you a quick inside look at what we're doing over the course of the next two days. Our board is meeting. Uh, tonight is the climax of Southern Baptist working together as we'll have an appointment service, a sending celebration for your new missionaries who will be taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Lord. I pray you'll protect them. You'll put a hedge around them. Off to lunch to eat with the missionaries. Hey, I'm with the board members. We arrived here at the cafeteria to have lunch with our missionaries, both the appointees who will be uh, recognized and celebrated tonight, as well as a group that is preparing to go to the field, already appointed, but in a several week uh, period of training, and we have the chance to interact with them extensively here on campus and look forward to lunch with them today. What really impressed me was when Paul talked about the Lord's kindness to him and then his humble spirit, and he would express how he wants to be able to serve our missionaries. I think Michelle and I just come to this moment proud, uh, proud of you. We're about to walk into the sending celebration. These are your missionaries who will be appointed tonight to take the gospel to the nations. We are so proud of them, and I know you are too. As a trustee, we are so excited about the future of the IMB. We believe that Paul has put together a great team, and we cannot wait to see what God does in the future. Love, Love you. you. I'm proud Love of you. Thank you. It's been great to be here for the celebration tonight. Uh, our new missionaries appointed, uh, me installed as your president. Thank you, Southern Baptist, for all that you're doing. Thank you for having a place for us in your hearts as we serve the Lord together.
Chitwood. That was our former president of the, uh, or executive director here of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. He just recently started, you know, he was hired as the new president of the IMB. So he, they just kicked off, had a big commissioning service, big welcoming ceremony. So it's very exciting, part of our IMB, that that's our International Mission Board, to see someone right here from Kentucky, or a, a local boy, I guess, uh, leading that and kicking off. So they just made that video and wa wanted to show, share that. I want to give you all some exciting news. We just had a church ministries council meeting. We had one goal in our meeting, and that was to pick a date for our new second service. And we got our date. It's June 2nd. That's the first Sunday in June. When you come to church on June 2nd, you know, I guess that's the, also the new summer quarter in your Sunday school material. So you got, we got three months to prepare for it. When you come to church on June 2nd, you will have a 9 a.m. celebration service led by David Dell. Then that will be about a 50, 55-minute service. And then it will be over. And then at 10 o'clock, you have Sunday school. Ten or ten, Sunday school lasts for one hour. And it will be over at 11, if your Sunday school can end at 11. <laughs> so this will depend how, how many uh, questions, how long folks talk. Then at 11.09, you know, we had already decided the times back in, um, what was it, back in September. Then at 11.09, we'll have our new contemporary worship service led by Chris Wright and the Broadway Worship Band and the Broadway Praise Team. June 2nd. Many of you say, why are we waiting to June to start this? On Wednesday nights, our band right now is practicing. So they're working on getting it together. So they practice up here on Wednesday, Wednesday nights. The praise team and the band, they're getting it together. Also, we're having to buy some equipment. Some, uh, we're having to get some new uh, sound equipment. So there's some time involved in getting that, learning it, so that they can, uh, the sound, sound guys, our sound, great sound team will have that to prepare for. And one of the reasons also in June is, this sounds crazy, but when you start something new like this, a brand new service with brand new equipment, You'll have um, challenges. There'll be uh, interesting things that happen. And during the summer months, that's a good time to learn and grow. So basically, before everybody gets back from their vacation and school kicks off, that will give the band and the new service two months of practice. Another reason June is good is because uh, during the month of June is VBS. So there'll be a lot of, you know, VBS is huge here at Broadway Baptist Church. There'll be a lot of families, a lot of young folks, so we'll be able to invite them a lot of them might want to come to the new 1109 service. So that, that's when it kicks off. So we'll be voting on this as a church next month in our business meeting on March 17th. So, so you're, what you're voting on is, you know, we already voted to, to go in this direction, the service times, and to um, uh, certainly approve, you know, hiring our new position, Chris. But we're voting on that kickoff date, the be launch date of June 2nd. Are you all excited about that date? All right. Got one amen. All right. <laughs> so, wanted to give you an update for that because that is uh, that just happened a few minutes ago. So that uh, you'll be hearing more about it. And here's how you're going to hear hearing more about it. There's three areas that I'm going to need your help. Number one, we do not just children's church. We do nursery, extended care. Uh, I think there's a four-year-old class down there. Then the children's church is actually kindergarten through second grade. Right now, our interns, and we have different, a lot, a lot of you volunteer to do that at 1045. Well, with two services, what does that mean? 
you now have two sets of nursery, children's church, extended care, two-year-old, four-year-old class. Something I want y'all to be, and y'all are going to be hearing about this a lot. Say you attend the 9 o'clock service, and you come to Sunday school. You know, you might be willing to say, hey, Miss Sherry Lyons, I'll step up because I'm not ready to go home at 11 o'clock. I want to stay at church another hour. I'll be happy to keep and to work at that 11.09 service, the two- and three-year-old class. So the great thing about that is you don't miss church. You get to serve, and you don't miss a worship service. So that will be one area. We need three months to start working on building children's church workers. Second thing we're going to have to start working on is we have a wonderful greeter team right now at 1045. Ms. Faye Boggs leads that up. We have uh, four different doors here. We are deacons here at the doors. Uh, we have ushers. Uh, deacons, all the men head that up. Well, that's for one service. Well, now all of a sudden you've got two services. That's a whole nother set of a greeter team. So we're going to need more ushers. We're going to need more folks there at the door. So again, if you come to 9 o'clock worship, say, hey, I can certainly serve as an usher, as a door holder at the 1109 worship service. Same with the welcome center out there. Uh, you can certainly serve in that. So it provides opportunities. And same with security. So we're going to uh, have another, basically another set of security teams. So having two services uh, basically provides all these opportunities so you don't actually miss church you could continue to stay here at broadway and work and serve during that second worship service so i want y'all to be thinking about that uh ushering greeting uh, uh, uh door holders as well as the children's church issues and having two services now we have to basically multiply all of that so june 2nd is our start date we have our date you'll be hearing much more it's exciting time the band's working on getting preparing working on our equipment uh, the, the ball's rolling in that direction. It gives us three months for our kickoff for that. Open your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. If you have your bulletin, you need to always make sure you have a bulletin there. And back, you need to pull out your white piece of paper here in your bulletin. Has worship become a den of thieves? We're going to get to the point where we see here with Jesus how he... Uh, basically went to church and got rid of everybody because they were buying and selling. Have you ever been to a church service before and you walk around and you got um, you know, folks selling T-shirts, selling CDs, selling Bibles, selling books, and you think, my goodness, this is a business here. So I know none of y'all have experienced that, but I've actually been to some churches before and, you, and, the, and the, well, they don't call them vestibules anymore. In the lobby area back in the Welcome Center, you, you see a lot of that. And I actually knew a guy one time years ago, well, 10 years ago, he was passionate. When we invited a guest, David, we had somebody um, come and uh, uh, sing for us. His biggest question, he didn't care what the music, he didn't care anything about the guy. His first question was, is he going to bring a table and sell his CDs and sell his tapes and sell his books and sell T-shirts and sell autographs or pictures, whatever he's selling? And he made a big deal about this. He was the one person that was just adamant about being against people coming to church and selling whatever they're trying to sell. Uh, with that. He didn't like churches selling good Girl Scout cookies. He didn't want folks selling essential oils. Whatever you sold at church, you know, this was not the place to certainly be selling that. And, and he quoted this scripture we're going to see here. So that's what we're going to get into tonight. But we have four different sections we're going to look at. So open your Bibles. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. 
When he had said these things, he went on ahead. Now remember, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. We're getting towards the end of the book of Luke. So he's going to Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? He's going to Jerusalem to die. He's headed to the cross. When he had said these things, he went on ahead up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives. This is right outside Jerusalem. He sent two of his disciples. Now, we don't know who these disciples are. They're unnamed in all the gospel accounts. Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter, you will find a young donkey tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their clothes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. You know, this reminds us too, if you're ever stealing an item, you can just say the Lord needs it. I don't know if you would get the response here that they received, but Jesus told them this is all you have to say, and they'll just back off. So um, this is actually fulfilling scripture this isn't just happenstance this is a fulfillment of zechariah 9 9 jesus is going into jerusalem this is what we would call <clears throat> the um the triumphal entry this is what's also known as palm sunday it's him entering jerusalem for the last time and the very purpose to die so he was going along they were spraying their clothes on the road in John's account of this, it says they were also spreading palm branches. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now look at this. It's important right here. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Like, they just, they are not into this at all. They're mad that the crowd and the disciples are praising Jesus. And this, this is a messianic thing they're doing. It's a fulfillment of Scripture here. It's actually a fulfillment of Psalm 118.26. And the Pharisees who knew their Bibles, they were aware of this. So they're, they're telling Jesus, uh-uh, they don't need to be talking like this. And Jesus answered, look at this, verse 40. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. And the reason why the stones would cry out, it was written in the Bible, in Psalm 118:26, that when the Messiah would enter Jerusalem, that the people would praise him. And if the people were to be quiet, the stones there would cry out. Now, it's interesting that we see this here in the Bible. Uh, and this began what we call Passion Week, Jesus' last week here on earth. What's interesting also about this is this statement, the stones will cry out. Throughout the scriptures, I actually have the Bible verses up here on the screen. There's different um, uh, things of creation, how they cry out to the Lord. For example, Isaiah 55, 12 here says the trees will, will clap. Man, do we have that? Okay, we don't have it. I'll just, oh, I'm sorry, it's supposed to say the trees will clap. That's my fault. 
And literally what happens here is that we see throughout the scriptures that creation is described also as praising God. Jesus references this with the stones crying out. One of the ways the stones cry out today is through archaeology. You know, through archaeology, we can affirm the authority and the trustworthiness of the scriptures. So the stones are alive and are certainly talk to us. One of the most powerful things that happened, I think, uh, last month, you know, we had, what, 28 folks go down to, uh, uh, go, or not go down, go over to Israel. One of the neat things, we went and found this boat. We didn't find it. We went and toured a boat called the Galilee boat. And it was a boat from the first century. Now, we don't know if it was the exact boat Jesus was in. It could have been. Most likely it probably wasn't. But the point was, it was a boat from that time period that Jesus would have been alive and certainly would have been, um, uh, been able to teach out of. When Jesus taught, when he was there in the boat with his disciples there on the Sea of Galilee, that was obviously the boat. But what happened is they found that boat, I believe it was in 1986, they discovered it. There was a great drought in Israel and what happened, the Sea of Galilee went down, and they, the, obviously you could see the, the ground, and it was just a boat appeared. But the guys who were walking, found, they were basically archaeologists, and they had been asking God, they said, Lord, we want the sea to give us a gift. Like, we want to discover something from the sea. And that was the boat that they found. God gave them a gift, and that gift was a, a gift of archaeology. It's called the Jesus Boat. Because it was the type of boat that Jesus certainly would have, uh, would have proclaimed. So the stones cry out today because, obviously, Jesus says so. They cry out through archaeology. Not only do the trees clap, it says the mountains will skip and sing. That's out of Psalm 114, 4 and 6 and Isaiah 55, 12. And not only that, the sky will proclaim his handiwork. You know, we can see, literally, we can see the Lord, witness the Lord from creation. Everything that has breath will praise the Lord. That's straight out of the scriptures. What the Bible is saying is God is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of us. And if we don't praise him, his creation will. The sky, the mountains, the trees, the rocks. Remember, they were created by God as well, just like us. Now, they obviously don't have souls. They weren't created in the image of God. But they were part of God's creation, and they can certainly, as the scriptures say, they can certainly praise the Lord. Jesus affirms his creation. All of his creation, the Bible says, is good. None of it is bad. So there's no such thing as a bad tree or a, a, bad, um, a, a bad mountain. This is certainly from, from the Lord. All right, go back to your Bibles here. Luke chapter 19, we're in verse 40. Now, Jesus is going into Jerusalem. He's going to make some statements here. Look what he says. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. As he approached, he saw the city, and he wept over it. Have you ever wept over Lexington? Have you ever been sad over the lostness of our city? Do you know why on June 2nd we are starting a second worship service? It's to reach, I guess, a new generation or all ages with the gospel. We are broken that our city is not in church, that they're lost apart from Christ. So we want to position Broadway Baptist Church to say, 
how can we be intentional and be aggressive in doing that? And we believe having two options, a 9 o'clock service and 1109 service, will help our church become more effective in reaching people. That's what it means to say we're going all out. We're going to do what it takes to reach. I want you to uh, look at that same again. As he approached and he saw the city, he wept over it. When's the last time you drove down Broadway, this street, well, Harrisburg Street, which becomes Broadway, and you see bar after bar, liquor store after liquor store, and you say, God, save these people. Open their eyes. Help them see you. And you see all the problems here in our city, the immorality, the sinfulness, the, the, the destruction on people, young, these young people's lives. And you just cry in your car. Say, Lord, raise up. Raise me up. Raise up our church. Raise up an army of folks, an army of believers here in our city that genuinely weep for the lostness. This is what it means to be broken for your city. Church, I'm going to be truthfulness, truthful. I, I don't know if we are broken. Jesus cried over Jerusalem. He wasn't crying because he was dying. He's crying because the people were spiritually dead. Jesus was, he came out of heaven. He knew where he was going. Yes, he bore the sins of the world. And yes, that was the biggest thing ever. But he knew his father and him loved all these people. And he, they do not need to go to an everlasting hell. And he's crying to the Lord over that. God should ask us to be, listen, missions starts right here at our city. It begins by us, by one person at a time saying, I am going to make a difference. I am going to become intentional. I am going to start praying for my city to have a revival. Not my church, my city. Jesus isn't just praying for the temple. He's praying for the entire city of Jerusalem. That they need to get saved. They need to see him as the Messiah. So this is what happens here. Jesus weeping. He's crying over his city. And he goes up and says in verse 42, If you knew this day what it would bring, what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build up a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. This is what the Romans will do 40 years later in 70 A.D. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone or another in your midst, because you did not, now listen to this, you did not recognize the time when God visited you. What Jesus is weeping about. That time where he says, here, remember, this is in 33 A.D. And he's weeping over the city because he knows in 37 years, all these folks, if they're still alive, they will be dead. The children that are playing, the Romans are going, I mean, Jerusalem was destroyed. Judaism, as, as that time knew it, ended in 70 A.D. The Romans wiped them out. Bulldozed the temple, destroyed the city. And all really that's left of the city is what we now call the Western Wall. That's all, all that's remaining. So what happens here is he's saying, uh, 
you, you didn't recognize the time God visited you. Jesus knows that if these people don't trust and believe in him now, when they die, 37 years, they will go to hell. This is their window for believing. And he knows it's closing. The window of belief is closing. The people here in our city, when we see people, we have to see them as saved or lost. That's how Jesus viewed Jerusalem. It's the same way we have to view our Lexington right here. What's also powerful about this here, many of the Jews, they did not recognize uh, Jesus as the Messiah. I don't want you to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians, because in a little bit we're going to flip over and look here in a, uh, 1 Corinthians, but I want to read this for you. In 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, it actually says, Satan blinded the people. One of the reasons people are lost is because their eyes aren't open. What the devil does, he prevents people, he prevents Lexingtonians from seeing Jesus. And he does this in many ways. He does it through sports, through working all the time, through an infatuation with the media and with sports and TV and movies, whatever it is to keep your mind away. It's a, what is my meaning? What does God want me to do? You know, in John 8, 44, again, don't turn there. I'm just going to quote it. Uh, Jesus was being challenged by the Pharisees on uh, who his father was. And they were trying to say, my father's Abraham. And Jesus says, no, <clears throat> your father's not Abraham. But rather, your father, in John 8, 44, he said, your father is the devil. And he's blinded you. And I think what Jesus is saying is all these people in Jerusalem at that point, they believed that they were saved, that their father was Abraham. And here's Jesus saying, no, he's not your father, Satan. All these cars right here on New Circle Road. We could just pull them out right now and pray to them. Probably 90% of those people would claim they're Christians. And they would tell me a time they were baptized when they were 7 or 8 years old or baptized out of, as an infant, and they haven't been to church in decades. And they believe, oh, my father's God. And Jesus says, no. That man here in Lexington who is hanging to baptism of something he did when he was 9 or 10 years old at VBS. And he's lived like a heathen the rest of his life. And he thinks he's saved. That is exactly what the Pharisees were like. Except the difference with them is they believed they were saved. But the Messiah, because of their knowledge of the Scriptures, and here is the Messiah that they read about in their Bibles, they do not see. They, they were blinded to him. And that's, pro, that's prophesied right out of the scriptures. Moving along here. Now this is our main passage. This is where you're going to have your little hand out. We're going to talk about now Jesus has now entered Jerusalem. So he's going to do something. Most folks when they go to church, they don't do this. This would really wake up a church. <clears throat> he's going to enter Jerusalem. And how he uh, certainly shares with um, uh, driving folks out. Luke chapter 19, verse 45. As he went into the temple and began to throw out those who were selling, and he said, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer. And he's quoting this from the Old Testament. That is Isaiah 
56-7. So Jesus is saying here, I come to church, I come to worship, and I see all these people here buying and selling. My house will become a house of prayer, yet you have made it a den of thieves. Or in some of your Bibles say, a den of robbers. They were robbing the people of worship. Isaiah 56-7. Do you know when you go to the western wall right there, where that's the remaining a buttress wall of the temple that's left. They have a little inscription explaining in this verse here. Isaiah 56, 7 was carved. I should have took a picture of it. It says, and, they, and it says, my house will be a house of prayer. And then Jesus comes along and says, what's happened here is you've taken something that was created for the worship of God and you have robbed his worship. It is possible for you to come to church and still worship from the Lord. He's being robbed. That's, that's, that's the prophecy we see here. He's fulfilling this. Look what he goes on to say. It's a den of thieves. Every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people were looking for a way to kill him. And I enjoy You're up there teaching it. You're at the temple, and people are trying to kill you. But they could not find a way to do it because all the people were captivated by what he heard. Now, in John's account of this, in John chapter 2, it says Jesus made a whip and he drove out the money changers. He drove out those who were buying and selling. And this is important because what was happening here is the court of the Gentiles was the outer area. That's only where... That's where the non-Jews could go. They obviously couldn't go into the temple, so they go into the, what they call the court of the Gentiles. And that's where you would go, and you would buy your dove, you'd buy your lamb, you'd buy your animals for the worship. But what happened is these Jewish pilgrims had traveled across Israel to make their sacrifice, and what was occurring to them is they get there, and they have their bag of money, and they show up at the temple, and then the prices were ridiculous. A dove... A pigeon was five times more than it would cost normally. And these animals were kept over in Bethlehem. And the reason why is because obviously Jerusalem's in a city. So if you didn't like the prices that were being sold, you just couldn't go and shop. I mean, Bethlehem's 10 miles away. So you were kind of stuck. It's like, it's like being at Disney World. If you're thirsty at Disney World, you are in trouble. You know why you're in trouble? You just lost $7. Now it's probably $8. Next year it'll be $10, $9. It just keeps going up. And you have no other option. And everywhere you go, there's no sale section. Nothing at Disney World ever goes on sale. You don't go in one store and say, I'm going to price shop it against another. They're all the same. Well, that's what it's like here. They're stuck. And the people were being taken advantage of. And that's what made Jesus so mad. These people came here to worship, and you're ripping them off. So in John's account, it says he made a whip, and he started turning over their money change. And what happened? They had dishonest scales. So it was very easy to take advantage of these people, because they, couldn't, they didn't have a leg to stand on. And Jesus is turning over their tables because they're buying and selling animals at an outrageous price. Now here's what happened. Pull your white piece of paper out. I want you to see this. When you have peace, it requires that you maintain it. Jesus wanted his house 
to be a house of peace, a house of prayer. People should come to church and feel the presence of God. When you come to worship here, it should not be a business. It shouldn't be a, um, a, a photography studio. It shouldn't be a place to have some drinks and eat candy and food and run around. It's a place of, it's a sacred place that you come to and say, I'm coming into God's house and my focus is on the Lord. You know, one of the things here is business has a temptation or religion has a temptation to become a big business. False teachers who worship money. There, you turn on the TV, it's surrounded. If you come to church, in some churches, you will hear something called a prosperity gospel. James and I in Sunday school, we were talking about this morning. That's false teaching. God, and prosperity gospel is God wants to bless you and make you wealthy and great and healthy. But there is nowhere in the Bible does it say you receive a blessing of God's Spirit, not a blessing of a bag of money. Nowhere does the Bible say Jesus was poor. He came from a poor family. During Jesus' time, the money changers set up shop right in the temple. You would go to the temple and you would get robbed. I mean, you come pull into church and it's a flea market. It's a yard sale and they're taking advantage of you. A worshiper would come to the temple and witness buying and selling. It was a marketplace rather than a sacred space. And one of the things for us, we might not have it a marketplace, but I want to say church can become a social place today. A social place is where you're actually coming, not so much that you're excited about what God's going to do and what is the message and how He's going to speak to you. You're actually coming for the very purpose who am I going to see? Who am I going to meet? Are my friends going to be there? It's an attitude as this is a social hour. Why did Jesus throw out those who were buying and selling? Why? They were robbing God of the worship He demands. And that's a question we have to ask. Are we robbing God from the worship? Church is described as a place of prayer for all nations. Wherever we're at, we should not be robbing God. Look at this, number three. There's always a temptation to replace worship with, and you fill in the blank, what would it be? And that could be something different for everybody. And it could be social, it could be friends, and you're, you're, it's, it's robbing the Lord. I want you to turn your Bible, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because the Bible tells us here, this is an important Bible verse. Brother Hurd, we had some we had visitors out in the lobby. So I tell you, you might, yeah, Keith, we have they were staying there looking for place to put their children. So <laughs> I want while we turn there, First um, Corinthians chapter six, verse eighteen and twenty. I want you to I want to read this because it's going to tell us about how in our lives we need to guard our our bodies. And our, our, not only that, our body is a place of worship. Look at this. 1 Corinthians six eighteen. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Now look at this. Don't you know that your body is a temple? It's a temple. 
of the Holy Spirit who's in you. When you get saved, literally the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes into your life and makes his home. You have a home inside your temple, inside your body. It's a place of worship. Your body was paid for and bought at a price. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought at a price. So look at this. So glorify God with your body. The Bible's telling us, Broadway Baptist Church, our body, it is given for the purpose of the Lord. God comes inside of us and makes his home. So what happens when we, when we sin, when we fail the Lord, we are not only that sing us, Lord, we're singing us our body. Do we view, listen to this, when we make poor choices for our life, when we live and participate in sinful things, in the context it was saying here is sexual immorality, our body is given for the Lord. This is why God calls us to purity. Why would you take someone who was set apart, who has the Holy Spirit of the Lord, someone who's a born-again believer, and marry them off to someone who's lost? This is why you guard, you, you don't want your children and your grandchildren marrying a lost person. Because one set apart a temple of the Holy Spirit who's pure for the Lord. And why would you unite them with someone who's not? And I think what Jesus is telling us and the principle for us here is that we are that same way. We have to view ourselves as pure. Jesus came to church and to get rid of the sin. People were getting ripped off. Part of spiritual maturity says, Lord, is there anything in my life? Because my life, my body is a temple for you. Is there anything impure in my life that I need to be cleansed of? Lord, cleanse me of my thinking. Cleanse me of my actions. Purify my eyes and my thoughts. I'm giving who I am to you. Listen, when you get saved, you become a disciple of Jesus. Church, He wants all of you. Including how He paid you were bought at a price. And what that means is Jesus died. It cost Him something. You were not free. Human life was paid every single human ever born was came at a cost for Jesus dying on the cross. One of the things we see here, going back to this handout, because I don't want to miss this, because in the account here, in John's account, it says that Jesus was angry. When he went to go cleanse out the temper, it, it says he had this passionate zeal for his father's house. And it consumed him, the Bible actually says. That's John 2, 14 through 16. So we have to answer the question, how can Jesus be angry at what he sees at church and still not sin? Well, the Bible tells us, and you don't need to turn that, I'm going to tell you. In Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it says, In your anger, do not sin. This is what we call righteous anger. Righteous anger is when you're angry at what? Angry at sin. Because you're not angry at someone because of over-preference or feelings. You're angry. Someone has sinned and you're angry at the sin. Jesus was mad when he came to church and they're, they're robbing the people of worship. He says, this is awful. These people are coming to my father's house and they're getting ripped off and taken advantage of. They're getting every. I mean, some of them can't even buy a sacrifice because they don't have the money. And they've traveled this far and they don't even get to do it. It's like a mission price. 
And it keeps like, it's like going to Disney World. And the price just keeps getting higher and higher and higher. What it also says about anger, anger there in Ephesians 4.26 is we should not let our anger carry over to the next day. Meaning if you're angry with someone, you need to deal with it that day. You don't allow anger to just go to bed with you and next day you're still angry, the next day you're still angry because then what happens, you've given the devil a foothold in your life and you will become bitter. Then, like I preached on this morning, it doesn't just end at bitterness, you get into the attack mode. Next thing you know, you're assaulting him and then it goes all the way to murder. I know that's extreme, but remember, as I shared this morning, no one murders anybody with a smile on their face. They're mad, they're angry, they're seeking revenge. Anger gives the devil an opportunity. Jesus was angry at sin. Not the person, the sin. And the sin was they've broken the first commandment. They've robbed God of worship. First commandment is you should only worship the Lord your God. And that was not occurring with them. Last section here in your Bibles. Luke chapter 20. Back in your Bibles here, Luke chapter 20, verse 1. We're going to read these eight verses, then we'll be done. And this is, these important eight verses are on the heels of what we're talking about. And the reason why is because this is what happened here. One day as he was teaching the people in the temple and proclaiming the good news. Now remember, he had just turned over all the money changers. So they're not happy with him, they're upset with him. He's proclaiming the good news. The good news is the gospel. The chief priests and the scribes with the elders came in and said to him, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Who is it that gave you this authority? So they want to say, Jesus, who do you think you are to have the authority to walk into our church, our temple, and start flipping over tables and telling everybody, running them out with a whip? Who do you think you are? Where do you get this power from? So it's a question. He answered them. I will also ask you a question. Tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or human origin? They discussed it among themselves, and they said, if we say from heaven, he will say, why didn't you believe me? Why? Because Jesus received John's baptism there in the Jordan River. But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because we are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know the origin. You know, that's the kind of the question. We can't really say yes or no, so I'm just going to abstain, and we're just going to say we don't know. I don't know if it was from heaven or from, or from human origin. Because they were, what happened was Jesus got them. Have you ever been cornered? You, you're a position that says either way you pick, you realize, okay, I'm going to make one group unhappy, and I'm going to make the other group uh, very happy. And that's what's happened here. Because if they would have said of human origin, remember, they're doing this in front of all the people who were baptized by John. And they viewed John as a great prophet. So Jesus said to them, verse 8, And Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus just said, If you don't answer my question, I'm not answering your question. Because the answer to that question was, the authority Jesus had to drive all these people out came from God, his Father. Well, if he would have said that, then they would have quickly arrested him and says, all right, that's blasphemy. We're going to arrest you for claiming you have authority from God to do these things. 
But by Jesus asking this question, see, they thought they had him. Because they knew the Pharisees and the chief priests. If Jesus says, God gave me authority to do this, he was, going, he was getting the handcuffs on right now. But Jesus, obviously God, can outwit anyone. He asked a question that they gave an I don't know answer, and then Jesus says, well, I'm not answering your question either. <clears throat> What's powerful about this is there's some questions, and what we see in the principle of this, that Jesus refused to answer. The reason why Jesus refused to answer that is he wouldn't have finished the rest of his week at the teaching of the temple. He would have quickly been arrested. What we see in this passage, and wrapping up tonight, is that what we see, the main point is, Jesus was in, determined to be at church teaching and proclaiming the gospel. He was there even when people were robbing his father of worship. He drove them out. His sole focus is that all nations worship him. I think one of the principal passages, going back, and how I want to end, going back to verse chapter 19, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. I want to encourage you. You know, this week, you join me, join Sherry and I. You drive by, is it Liquor Barn? Just pray for the folks going in there. As you drive by whatever dance places they have, uh, strip joints, whatever sinful businesses here in our city, immorality places in our city, look at that and remember Jesus was saddened by his city. They were lost. We have to be broken and saddened for our city. What's going to drive us to changing, making a difference? It starts with a broken heart for Lexington. When is the last time you wept for our city? When's the last time you wept for a lost person to get saved? If Jesus did it, we should do it. Lord, I pray for our city. I pray we have the same brokenness for Lexington as you had for Jerusalem. You, Lord, you knew these people were rejecting you. Lord, they were spiritually dead. God, I pray that we will be alive. We will be passionate. Lord, we will have a zeal for our city. Lord, don't let us rob you of worship. God, I pray tonight, if there's anybody here that needs to make a decision to follow you, Lord, if there's anybody who needs to respond, Lord, we certainly will. Lord, we give you this invitation. I pray we have the same attitude as you had, as you were intent on making your place holy and pure. We are a temple set apart from you. Lord, you call us publicly. Lord, I pray we respond boldly to your message this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We close every single worship service with an invitation. If you want to make a decision, if you want to get saved tonight, if you want to walk this aisle and talk to myself or Brother Herd to be up here, you come forward and talk to me, and I'll pray with you to receive Jesus into your hearts. Let's stand together, and I'll be waiting up front for you to respond.